This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Spirit Technology Solutions. If you do business, do it with Spirit. Fundies called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Marcus Burns, thanks very much for making your Talk Your Book debut. Really excited to, uh, to sit down and have a conversation with you. I thought we'd just start by you walking us through Spheria Asset Management and how you guys look to invest. Thanks, Chris. Well, thanks for having me. Um, look, we're... Uh... We've been around for about five and a bit years now. We uh, the team was carved out of Schroders, uh, where we ran small microcaps. And uh, what's what's our difference? I guess we, Matt and myself, the co-founder, uh, and Adam, the three of us who came from Schroders together, have um, lived through a couple of crises. So we came through the GFC, we came through the Asian crisis previously, and I guess that that kind of formed a lot of uh, where we are today. And so, really, it's three things we think we think we do broadly differently from from some of our peers. We we think cash flow is king, um, even today when cash isn't really valued as such. Uh, we believe in valuations. So we do think long-term you know, gravity, you know, economic gravity applies and, and valuations, discount rates kind of make sense and the market sifts through and, and finds levels that, um, that support by valuation. And then finally, we, uh, we actually like to try and minimize risk because we, we play in micros and small caps. Uh, we think that loaded gear balance sheets um, and cash flow help minimize that risk. And so over the long run, that gives us and our clients a better return. That's, that's probably how it summarizes in three points. And, uh, and what stock did you want to talk us through today? Well, Chris, I picked uh, IWF, IFL. Um, it's, not a, uh, it's not a particularly popular stock right now, but I just thought it's, uh, it's going through an interesting transformation and uh, you know, be worthwhile engaging you know, on, that, on that topic and uh, talking about why we think it's interesting. Yeah, so maybe start with the top-down view for IWF for, for viewers that aren't familiar with it. What's their business model and, and what do they do? Yeah, sure. So... IWF is a um, has gone through a bit of a transformation over the last two or three years, and now looking forward, what it is is effectively a platform for financial advisors to use. Platform is something that um, advisors use to put clients' money through, that measures you know taxes, um, gathers all the information from different sources, uh, and makes them you know, makes asset allocation, planning, and taxes information much easier for them to to, to assess and organise. Uh, so it's bought up um, a wealth platform from ANZ and then one from NAB, MLC, uh, which it just completed about a month and a half ago. So it's really now an agglomeration of three platforms, um, some financial planning and some funds management in, in one business. That's kind of the business model at the moment. And we'll dig a bit deeper into the numbers later on, but I, I guess the, the sexy part of the business, if you, if you like, is, is their platforms, or that's, that's the consensus view at least. And I guess the funds management view uh, is viewed by some as being a drag on the stock. When you compare the the, um, the multiples paid for, say, Hub24 or Net Wealth compared to IWF, they're, they're really significantly different. And I guess that's largely due to the, the messier breakdown of the IWF business compared to the platform businesses where they just do the one thing. Do you want to maybe extrapolate on that? And if you agree, and, and what does that look like to you? you? Know, I, I do agree. I mean, <laughs> I think you're right. I think the consensus is right. The sexiest part of business is the, is the platforms, and that's the... Um, high repeatability, you know, um, low capex, reasonably low capex, good margin, good free cash flow part of the business. Then there's financial planning, which um, you, they, they sort of need, if you like, to have the funds. So the financial planners go out there, detail products and ideas and services to clients, and then they put some, not all of their money on the IDWF platforms, the, th- the three large ones they have now. Um, but they can still use external platforms as well. So their internal platforms are competing with external platforms. There's no um, compulsion that they use internal ones. They've got to stand up on their own right. Um, but the financial planning businesses, you know, has gone through a lot of changes in Australia over the last four or five years. And I think those regs have made it 
quite difficult for many people to make money, uh, including IWF. So part of their planning groups are losing money, um, but they see that that's for losses and necessary costs, I guess, to, to keep the funds on the platform side. Uh, and then the third bit is they've got some actual funds management business or some stakes and some fund managers that particularly um, they're inheriting with MLC. Um, and um, if you look at the history of the last two or three years, they've sold off stakes in their, in their other funds. So I suspect that they might look to divest that over time and realize some, some gains there. But I think what's interesting is that you're right. People look at net wealth and hub um, and premium, uh, which are all sort of pure play platforms and go, you know, these are incredible businesses. They're more like technology businesses, you know, SaaS, all the buzzwords. Um, but what I find interesting is that you know, hub and net wealth really gained over the last three or four years as, as the big banks, the big four, look to shut down and, and reduce their, their financial advice exposure. Um, and so advisors were leaving those platforms, leaving the banks, taking their clients and their money out of the big four platforms and looking for independent platforms, of which hub and net wealth are the leading ones in terms of capability. But given that pretty much all the big four banks have now divested their financial, either their financial planning businesses and all their, their platforms, um, IWF really is considered independent. It's not really part of a big bank. So even though the, you know, the two of the three platforms came from banks, not really big bank platforms, so they actually are independent. So I'd, I'd be surprised if you see the same level of um, advisors kind of leaving the platform once that's all better down and settled down that we've seen compared to what we've seen historically. And it's the fact that they, even pre the Royal Commission, am I right that um, they're allowed to invest in funds that were outside of the platform compared to say the AMP model where it was all, vertically integrated is it is that accurate to how they were, were operating and they escaped more rep, reputational damage because of that chris like i think so i mean i i mean it's uh this going back way before i started looking at the company seriously i think that probably is the case but i mean all the financial advisors have within the big books typically got some level of remediation um provisions against them so idworth has I can't remember, something like five, 600 advisors on their platform, um, actually possibly more than that. And they um, they put, put aside a provision for any, you know, mis-selling advice that might've gone on historically. I think it's $200 million or so a provision for that. Um, they're kind of paying that out currently, but the books they're buying from, or the, the businesses they're buying from both NAB and, and ANZ have that um, risk sterilized. So that, that that cost, if you like, is sterilized with ANZ and MLC. So they get the advisors, but they don't have the, the historical risk. Um, and I think that all of them now have got significantly better compliance in place um, and better incentives in place so that the mis-selling uh, risk is, is materially reduced. I mean, I'm not saying it goes away completely. It's always part of the, part of the, part of the risk with having in, being in the business. But compared to what it was historically, it's definitely, I believe, been mitigated. Uh, time will tell. And in terms of macro factors providing a tailwind for the stock, we've got super contributions increasing from 9% to 10%, I think up to 12% in 2025. And we've got an ageing demographic as well at a time when people look to, to commit more money to their super as retirement gets closer. Are they a couple of the, the macro tailwinds that you think are providing, uh, you know, some potential blue sky for, um, for IWF? Uh, Chris, yeah, I mean, yes, you're right. There's a lot of funds, a lot of money going to superannuation. I mean, the, the risk, I guess, is that some of that money dribbles down to SMSFs and, and self-managed forms, et cetera, not necessarily through, through intermediated platforms, et cetera, where these guys are, are strong. So, um, it's positive tailwind, but there's some other other trends in the industry that, that are going on that don't necessarily support platform growth. I guess our thesis there is that you know that there's so much um, IDLF can ring out in terms of costs in the background. Um, I mean, they're, they're putting together two different two different platforms. Even those platforms had multiple legacy platforms. So rather than there's th- sort of three main ones that came across, but you know, I think MLC has got four four or five platforms that they'll shrink down. Uh, ANZ had three or four that they're shrinking down to one or two over time. 
Um, and even Ida Worth had one or two that's now shrinking down to one. So you've got multiple angles kind of contracting down to hopefully three and eventually one or two in the long run. And when you're dropping off, uh, you can imagine these things, these are 20, 30 year old legacy platforms, right? I mean, think green screen, think, <laughs> think IBM machine, mainframe machines, um, or whatever they all was 20 years ago. And, and you know, maintaining those platforms with, with poor technology is really difficult. So as they get funds off those, clients off those, recycle them back to newer, lighter platforms, there's a significant amount of cost saving to, to eke out as well. So, you know, really our, our thesis is, you know, it's, is, you know, it's actually hard for, for advisors to move platform. You know, once you've got, once you've got clients on a platform, you can move them off, but it's incredibly time consuming. And uh, we've had client, we've had discussions with, with advisors who say, look, you can move, but it takes 12 months to move. So we can do nothing else for 12 months and move our clients off a platform. But then what's the point of being in business? We have, you know, we've got, we've got right revenue. So, uh, as long as they do a reasonably good to good job, and as I said before, the platforms are open, so clients can leave and choose other ones if they're not competitive. You know, we feel there's a pretty good proposition for, for people to stay with Idaworth, and that's that's really what we we're banking on medium term. And talk me through the numbers. What's their market cap? What free cash flow are they are they spinning out? Yeah, well, um, as as I mentioned earlier, we're we are free cash flow junkies. Uh, uh, we can we find it hard hard to value things that are not on free cash flow. So. Um, if you look at the, let's say the last 10 years, the average free cash flow from IDLF has been about 88 to 90% of their earnings. So that is what percentage of their actual net profit in accounting terms is converted to free cash flow has been very high. Um, and that's really because it is a cash generative business. It doesn't require a lot of reinvestment. Um, although they are putting money back into the platform, it's, it's, it's typically expensed rather than capitalized. So we like that angle to it. Um, it's got a market cap of around about 2.7 billion today. Um, it has some, some gearing because it bought MLC with, with debt and equity. Um, but the gearing relative to its earnings, we think is pretty un, you know, under control. Um, and we just think that you know, you're trading on probably something like 10 times EBIT if you look forward one year, uh, P of about 13 or so. Um, it should be yielding four and a half percent, fully franked of that of that order. Um, and if you think that you know these cost savings come through from the platforms, you should be getting you know double digit earnings growth. So that all those things to us look pretty attractive relative to other stocks we're seeing in the market now that we think is pretty pretty expensive. And do you think there'll be any top line growth over the next one to two years, or will the increase in earnings come from costs out? Uh, well, I think the, the reported uh, growth will be there because obviously they're, they're, they're integrating MLC, which they just bought in, I think it was May, end of May, got finally approved. Um, so there'll be acquisition growth. Um, underlying, I suspect you'll probably see a bit, of, um, a bit of contraction in that revenue line. And there's two things going on there. One is um, kind of, there's been a bit of repricing in the platform market. So you know the, uh, the BTs, et cetera, have been pretty aggressive in, trying to, in terms of pricing down to try and keep their book. Uh, Hub and Net Wealth have been you know, uh, getting in there aggressively, trying to win business by cutting prices to get, get people across. Um, so there has been some pricing pressure in the marketplace, but, but you know, IDWF has gone through with its legacy platforms a fair bit of repricing already. So a lot of that's already in the market, but I think there might be a little bit of that just, just washing through. Um, and there probably is a tale of some of the financial advisors that they brought across from MLC and possibly ANZ just going through that adjustment phase of do we stay, um, you know, with the new group or do we look to leave? And as that beds down over the next 12 months, I think you find a core of advisors um, and a core farm that, that sticks there and is, is, is pretty attractive. But yeah, so reported, reported earnings will be up, reported numbers will be up, and I think underlying there'll be a modest contraction in their revenue and, and EBITDA if you took out the acquisitions. And when do you think their balance sheet would be in a, a place to look at newer acquisitions and, and what do you think they could potentially be? Oh, great question, Chris. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of further M&A for a period of time. Um, I think, if anything, it could be some divestments. As I said earlier on, they've bought some wealth managers with 
MLC and I don't know, but my sense is they might look to sell some of those off. That'll that'll realize some some decent cash and they'll look to reduce debt. Um, I mean, they've just done they've just done three major deals in the last you know four years. Uh, I think they've got a handful, frankly, and also I think they're so big now. I mean, they've got roughly two hundred billion of, of funds under advice in the platform market. That's probably in total about eight hundred and fifty call it. So you know they're roughly 25, 22, 23, 24 percent of the market overall. I think it might be a bit hard for them to buy anything else, so they probably don't need to, frankly. Um, but um, yeah, it's not it's not not what we think is a short term issue. Is overseas expansion unlikely? Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, you know, typically, the, you know, these platforms are um, quite tailored to domestic markets. Whether you're, you know, you're looking at the UK or Australia or the US, and so yeah, I don't think there's an urgent rush to go overseas, but you know, can be pleasantly surprised. Great. Well, I've I've heard of free cash flow. Uh, before and dividends in other other stocks that other people own. It's not something I come across in a, in a lot of the stocks I uh, I own, Marcus. But really appreciate you coming on and and talking us through IWF. And uh, I think it's a great one to watch. Okay, great, Chris. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Spirit Technology Solutions. If you do business, do it with Spirit. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.